This week, Mitya Kolshek from Across Security is with us to discuss patching without applying patches. Ooh, mysterious, huh? Then Vikram Asnani from CyberGRX joins us to talk about cyber risk intelligence tools. Finally, in the enterprise security news, Securonics raises a $1 billion round. <laughs> it's not a valuation, folks. That's a, a funding round. And Vista led, uh, led by Vista. Salt Security becomes a unicorn. Legit Security raises a totally legit 26.5 million Series A. Vicarious and Kalamu raise Series A's. Permit.io, KSOC, Titanium, Canonic Security, Allure Security, and Secure Things all pick up seed funding. Big week for fundings here. We look at uh, big tech cybersecurity funding, the Facebooks and the Microsofts and the Apples. Uh, we look at their funding and acquisitions. Rumor mill goes nuts over a Cisco Splunk deal. That's probably not going to happen. Why are cybersecurity asset management startups so hot right now? We've got some co-hosts that could possibly tell us. New products, unhelpful legislation, a major acquisition, a few squirrel stories, all that and more on this episode of Enterprise Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we talk security vendors and aren't afraid to name names. It's Enterprise Security Weekly. Workloads protected by VMware are the safest workloads in the multi-cloud. Private cloud, public cloud, any cloud. Stronger with distributed protection to the API and everything east-west, inside, and cross-cloud. Stronger with three layers of detection, trusting nothing and seeing everything, even the best hidden bad actors. Stronger with an SE Labs AAA certified advanced NDR that brings the multi-cloud together for the win. You've got workloads, we've got security. VMware security, simply stronger. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash VMware to learn more. Imagine this scenario. You're out of the office unexpectedly and a colleague pings you because they need access to some system you have credentials for. Now my listeners would never send passwords over email or Slack. But what about your coworkers? How many organizations out there are sending logins back and forth in plain text? Worse yet, how many just store all of their logins on a shared spreadsheet? Keeper Security's password management platform locks down logins, payment cards, and more in a patented zero-knowledge encrypted vault. Sign up for a Keeper free trial today. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Keeper. Welcome to Enterprise Security Weekly and happy Pluto Day. More on that later. This is episode 261, recorded on Thursday, February 17th, 2022. I'm your host, Adrian Sanabria, and joining me today is Mr. Tyler Shields. How are you, Tyler? Good, good. I am your co-host, Tyler Shields, joining you today. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing well. Just another day in paradise, Adrian. How do you feel about Pluto? Uh, that is a, a non-planet, so I really am kind of uh, anti-Pluto. I, I say get rid of it. Oh, man. I, I love that you take that role. I love that you you just own that role. Dude, I own it. Me today. I, it is what it is. I'm, why am I gonna Why am I gonna fight it? Not gonna fight it. Pluto is not a planet. Nobody can disagree. Also joining me today is Katie Teitler. Are you gonna take the uh, the other side of that, Katie, or are you gonna agree with Tyler? Not a planet. I prefer Goofy. <laughs> nice. Well played. Uh, the the uh, best position is not to play at all, huh? 
probably so, in this case because we have really we have much more important things to get to. We do, we do. But um, <laughs> I am going to sideline us for a little bit before we get started with our first interview. Uh, apparently, Pluto Day is tomorrow, or as uh, some very salty folks say, Pluto Planet Day is is tomorrow. But we're recording today, so everybody's just going to have to deal with uh, with us uh, talking about it today. Uh, the other option was National Cabbage Day, and Pluto just seemed more interesting to talk about than than cabbage. So, Pluto was discovered 92 years ago by Mr. Tombaugh at Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona, and for 76 years, school children had to memorize it as one of the nine planets using some silly mnemonic like my very educated mother just served us nine pizzas and then solar system homewrecker mike brown had the nerve to discover many more large objects in the solar system uh leading them to a dilemma you know do we make the the kids memorize more uh planets or do we demote pluto to a dwarf planet so the uh <laughs> i I'm, I'm sure most of us remember all the all the uh outrage about this the california state assembly called the iau decision a scientific heresy and the new york or the new mexico house of representatives passed a resolution in honor of tombaugh he was a longtime new mexico resident to declare a pluto planet day and even in 2006 pluto was voted word of the year meaning to demote or devalue someone or something and if you're interested in more Pluto drama, I'm not making this up. You can pick up Mike Brown's best-selling book, How I Killed Pluto and Why It Had It Coming. <laughs> wow, that's, How that's great some is that? dedication there to, to kill a planet. So, Adrian, yeah. I have a quick question. I have a quick question. Of, was, was the planet founder still alive when they demoted it? And how do you no. feel if you're the guy that, hey, I discovered that planet and X number of years later, I don't get to claim it anymore. How bad does that guy feel? Right. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to hear if he if he would agree or not. But uh, no, I, I I'm actually not a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty sure uh, he he was gone by the time that happened. Wow. He he made the discovery. Yeah, the, yeah. This happened uh, seventy six years later, or something like that. Yeah, he's probably pretty, gone. Yeah, pre pretty sure he had passed by then. <laughs> So it's a posthumous kick in the ass. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which is right. just really rude. Like, just give the guy his claim to fame. Yeah. Still a cool extrasolar object. Uh, still cool enough to have a very expensive spacecraft with nice cameras do a flyby of it. And we got some very nice pictures of Pluto a couple of years ago. So, um, And no other planet or non-planet has its own day. So... In the end, who wins? And I think he would appreciate the outpouring of love uh, from various communities at, at the demotion. So, yeah. All right, we've got one announcement here. Don't miss any of your favorite Security Weekly content. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe to subscribe to any of our podcast feeds and have all new episodes downloaded right to your phone. You can also join our mailing list, Discord server, and follow us on social media and our streaming platforms, which now includes Twitch. We get a bunch of people on Twitch. I think more than YouTube when we're live. Uh, when we're live, sometimes these days. Um, all right. So today's first interview, uh, we're going to be talking about a product, uh, both a commercial and free product called Zero Patch. 
Uh, we're excited to have Mitya Kolshek, uh, founder and CEO at Across Security with us today. Welcome, Mitya. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I've been a fan of uh, Zero Patch for a while. And oh. Mitya, I think it would be good to kind of get a history, uh, you know, be, because I, I've introduced Zero Patch here, but I've introduced you as the CEO of ACROSS. So it might be good to get a history of uh, what ACROSS does and how you came to build uh, this tool. Okay. So uh, ACROSS is a small security company in Slovenia uh, that has uh, that started doing business in information security in 1999. So uh, it's a small team of eight people, but we do pretty interesting stuff. And uh, we started by providing, you know, the application security assessments and penetration testing, that old school penetration testing where, where someone hires you to try to break into their networks without any prior knowledge. So you, you do, you exploit some vulnerabilities and show what can be done. Uh, it's very interesting at, uh, at first and after, well, 15 years, it becomes not so interesting anymore because you see that you're still using the same techniques that nothing really changes and it's becoming really a, like a routine. Uh, and you, you start, start to wonder why things aren't getting any harder and you, you get to read all the, about all the other you know, actual break-ins that happen to uh, organizations worldwide. And you see that the same thing is happening to them uh, uh, the, th the same thing that you are doing. Um, and, um, you know, we, we said, okay, uh, it, perhaps it's time for us to, to, you know, turn the tables and, and uh, go on a defense here with all the experience that we had uh, in breaking in. So what could actually stop or, or uh, at least uh, uh, make job significantly harder for an attacker like us and uh, talking to admins who um, whose networks we broke into uh, really just brought up the the same point over and over again which was they uh, they were afraid or reluctant to really quickly apply uh, official patches if even if they were available so when you look from uh, uh, at the vendor's perspective, uh, when they uh, know about a vulnerability and they uh, they create a patch for it and make that patch available for everyone, that's really the end of the story for them. So it's uh, it's up to users now to to apply those patches. Um, but uh, if you've ever talked to any admins, you'll know that they don't just do that because too many times that broke something in production and and it's really not nice to be the one who broke production. Uh, so right. uh, as a result, most organizations have uh, some, uh, well, pretty lengthy processes of, of testing these official updates uh, on some testing machines. And once uh, they're ready to, to deploy them, then they uh, actually do. But in the meantime, you know, uh, attackers can find free, mostly vulnerability information on the internet, which is what we did as penetration testers. We never had to find a zero day or, or purchase one. We just had to go to all the forums and, uh, and wherever that vulnerability information was 
was published these days you would go on on twitter and and just take the vulnerability uh, uh take something that that has just been patched but you can be pretty sure that all the machines in your target network have not been uh have not been patched yet so the patch is available and you, you take that exploit or proof of concept and turn it into something that works with with whatever uh remote administration tool you're using or or whatever phishing tool you're using whatever uh, and you just mutate it to the point where virus total doesn't doesn't recognize it anymore. So that's basically what we did over and over again. And um, so so the problem was uh, obviously applying of of patches. So patches were there, but were not being applied. Uh, and uh, we said, okay, can we find a solution? Can we find uh, some way to to make uh, vulnerabilities go away fast? but with uh, less risk. Uh, and uh, well, the idea basically was what we do now. It's called zero patch. It's called micro patching, um, where everything happens in memory and uh, you apply very tiny pieces of code uh, to correct the vulnerability. Uh, there's very little risk of breaking something because the change is really as small as, as it can be. Uh, and you don't have to restart the computer or, or 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 again restart it if if you want to unapply the patch. So that's really how it started. It, it really was came out of frustration. Uh, so uh, we are now on on the defense. So we came from the offense and with all the, the knowledge that we got there, and uh, we're now playing for the other the, the other side. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's a very common narrative that you hear from anyone who's been doing any kind of offensive security pen testing for a while is, is you know, it's it's fun at first, but then it gets kind of depressing. You know, it's like, you know, I remember in one case, it was, uh, we had a, a client that was a children's hospital, you know, and year five, like, you know, the domain admin accounts that were created on year one were still there, like nothing was fixed. It's like, why, why are we even doing this? This is... Uh, you know, it's 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 not uh, fun anymore. It's uh, what what can we do to help you, right? Yeah, I know, I know. And you you would hope that you know with all these next generation tools, uh, I'm not saying they're useless. Um, it, it, there's just so much to cover uh, when you're yeah. trying to protect an environment, um, and, and and I don't know. It's it's so it, it's very frustrating. Whatever you do, it's never enough. Uh, but I think we we wanted to focus on the on the single point uh, where uh, where the failure was very obvious and uh, it where it sim seemed like a, a fixed problem for vendors. So uh, vendors basically cannot do much more than provide you with uh, with a fix, right? Uh, so it's kind mm -hmm. of your fault if you don't apply it. But it, it's not really uh, that's not really true. Because if, if it's risky to apply it, then, uh, then it's not really your fault. So it's, um, it's not black and white, uh, but it's certainly part of the problem that we wanted to address. And it, it's, uh, I've, I've noticed a trend. It, it's usually when folks with offensive security background, with pen testing backgrounds, build defensive tools. Uh, they're, they're worth checking out. They're pretty interesting. So... You know, just thinking of uh, Haroon Mir with uh, Thinks Canary, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. HD Moore uh, building building Rumble now. Yeah, I know you're you're okay. a big Canary fan, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, I am. I am. That I think I think that's one of the most uh, 
the simplest and, and most impressive and probably impactful products if you really want to, uh, you know, do something about uh, something tangible about uh, uh, protecting your network. Because if from the from the attacker's point of view, if someone if, if our customers were to use a Thingst, um, it would be probably well very hard for us. Uh, it really depends on who would be mm -hmm. listening on the other end, but not just not knowing where you can step uh, and and you know you can put those canaries uh, uh, in in very good places. So yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm a complete fan of of things. Yeah, yeah, I used to work there and and um, do a POC of one of those right before you have a pen test. That's the easiest way to sell it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you built an endpoint security product, basically. So this is yes. um, zero patch is something you would install in your endpoints. Uh, I love that you have a free version because it lets me use it, and uh, mm -hmm. and I, I used I've been using it uh, for several years now across my machines. And oh, you um, yeah, yeah. I really didn't. I genuinely didn't know that. I just I, <laughs> you said you were a fan. I didn't know you were using. it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I use it in addition to usually my uh, my setup is Windows Defender and and I throw Zero Patch on there in addition, and um, yeah, I mean at first it was just trying it out, you know, but uh, you know then I did a, a bit of testing against it and it, it's it's light enough that you know I, I I never notice it there, as opposed to uh, kind of recently I did some XDR testing and and. Yeah, those agents, EDR agents, are are at the other end of the spectrum. I think uh, when it comes to performance impact, or they yeah, can that, be. That at least. I, our, I know they're our, configurable. Our goal was, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, our goal was always uh, to to uh, not be in the way because uh, patching seems to be very much in the way of you doing your business with all the restarts mm -hmm. and and all the the problems that that fairly regularly occur. And uh, uh, we want it to be the exact opposite, you know, uh, apply the patch and ideally not even know about it. So forget about it uh, and, and certainly not not uh, uh, consume the resources and, and make you make you regret what you're doing. So, uh, yeah, uh, that was really always our, our plan. And that, that's why we that's why we're using, you know, we, we didn't want to you to have to install any dependencies like .NET Framework or, or anything like that. So uh, we get a lot of questions um, about that from from users, and they're very happy they don't have to install anything else because everything's hogging down your computer. You, you just want to use it and, and forget yeah. about patching. So what what are the main differences between the free version and the enterprise version? Uh, it's it's mostly oh two things it's uh, in in the patches that you get because uh, uh, of course we write patches uh, to uh, to uh, this is a business model right so you write patches and you and you sell them but we decided to uh, to give zero day patches for free to everyone mm. so if you if you want for instance. To keep using Windows Server 2008 R2, uh, and you don't have official patches anymore, you can use Zero Patch to keep this product secure. But if Zero Day comes out, uh, like uh, in in the past few months, we had a, a number of Zero Days 
coming out uh, and we wrote patches for them. Those All of those patches were free. And that's just our decision. So uh, as long as you, you don't have any alternative, uh, we don't want you to, to have to pay for your security. But once, uh, once the vendor provides uh, their own official patch, uh, then the patch, our patch becomes, um, well, part of pro or enterprise. And uh, the other difference is in, in some of the, some of the features that that you get with the enterprise license. Right. I assume you get uh, a, a console that they report back to for managing all, all your endpoints. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's that's what you get. So you, you get central management for free endpoints, um, and you can put computers in groups, stuff like that. The the, the usual stuff. We, we want to still keep things simple uh, because we think patching should not be uh, well should not take a lot of your time. Uh, it should be very easy to, to understand what you're doing and, and difficult to, to make a mistake or misconfigure something. Because, uh, you know, if, if it happens, if we make it easy for you to, to misconfigure um, your agents and uh, end up with patches not being applied, then we haven't provided any value. So we need to keep things simple. Yeah. Any questions, uh, Katie or, or Tyler? Give you a chance to, to talk here. You know the um, the the whole patching side of side of the equation has always been a difficult solution, and it's interesting that you came to it from a from background of penetration testing, right? That you came to it from the vantage point of a breaker turned yeah. uh, turned fixer. Why? Can you help me understand a little bit about the path from pen testing to patching? Meaning, like a lot of the times, I'm a former I'm a former breaker uh, myself, mm -hmm. and a lot of the times it was external systems, external facing systems. Yet you you focused your company on kind of the internal, more endpoint centric. Was there a particular reason you chose that? Uh, is it because the pain point was greater, easier to fix? What what was the idea behind that? Uh, well, maybe the endpoint. Uh, we need to make sure it it also includes servers, which could be uh, you know accessible from from uh, an external attacker uh, so um, as a as pen testers we were uh, we were doing well two things right uh, either attacking servers or users using uh, workstations and mostly windows because uh, zero patch only works on windows um, that was a, a decision uh, that we made just to to make uh, to, to limit ourselves to to one platform that is the major uh, entering point for attacks, uh, not not just for ours. I mean, you do have attacks that go through other systems as well, but uh, it is Windows only. And um, the maybe the the missing part of of this equation is the other service that we were and still are uh, uh, offering which is um, application security assessments. So uh, looking for vulnerabilities in our customers' systems, our customers' uh, products, and uh, helping them patch these uh, vulnerabilities. So we also, that service also gave us uh, a lot of uh, experience in, in uh, patching and thinking about um, efficient patching of uh, found vulnerabilities. So we kind of were, I think lucky to have all of these components just ready on the table. So we just mixed them together and, and added uh, this additional idea to create this service. 
Gotcha. So you just mixed them together, added a, a little splash of water, and off you, off you went. You grew a company. Yes, because we, I, I mean, Zero Patch is a service provided by our company, uh, but uh, I, I need to make, uh, to make it clear that we did not really invent anything uh, because uh, whatever we're doing, we're patching in memory. Uh, so hot patching has been, has been around for a very long time before we started in InfoSec. Uh, and also, there, there were uh, there was a time in um, I think about in two thousand nine or, or even earlier when um, Microsoft uh, had a lot of uh, zero days out, and uh, the, their their patching was not at the level that it is today. Because I have to say, today they're very good at it, um, mm -hmm. and, and uh, we had companies like Determina and EI and uh, several others. Uh, just experimenting with third-party patching. So mm -hmm. uh, they were kind of seeing the, the, the need for that, uh, but none of them actually then uh, turned, into, turned that into uh, a commercial service. So what we did was, uh, was actually do that and create a sure. service that now anyone can use. Yeah, and hot patching, you're right. Hot patching, you know, is, is not like, you know, invented in the last 12 months, right? This is a no, bit of an no. old, older concept, it's, but it's an old what idea. you did is yeah. you commercialized it, right? You commercialized top yeah. patching. Did you run into um, a lot of situations where people would simply say, look, hot patching is too dangerous for us. It's too risky for us. We're afraid of downtime on these particular suites of endpoints. And if you run into that, how did, uh, how did you guys manage that as a business? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, we had uh, all sorts of responses to, to the idea of, of hot patching. Uh, some people said, okay, this is much better than what we have now because we don't have to restart the computer to apply the patch. Uh, and on the other side of the spectrum, we have people who say, who instinctively say a hot patching, this sounds like something that malware would be doing. Uh, we don't like the idea. So they're harder to convince so you basically have to um, have to uh, explain what you do, and uh, it helps a lot to have uh, our level of transparency because we publish the source code of our patches. Our patches are really small, so anyone can uh, anyone with uh, a bit of knowledge in assembly language, and uh, uh, of course in reverse engineering as well, because you you need to know. Uh, to understand the context where the patch is going to be applied, but you can you can understand what the patch is doing, uh, which is uh, in contrast to uh, what most all other patches in the world uh, look like. They are just huge uh, binaries um, that contain the corrected code, but really it's it's humanly impossible to review an entire DLL that you get every month from, from Microsoft or Adobe. So this level of transparency really helps um, our users understand what we're doing and how we're doing it. And uh, just knowing that once you apply a patch, if, uh, if, it's, if it's doing something wrong, uh, it's just as easy to unapply it. You don't have to, it's to, it's a matter of, of seconds, basically, to unapply the patch. Yep, all, all without reboots, right? That's the, that's yeah. the key, 
key bit there. Yeah, that's a key. So, so whoever wants uh, uh, uptime, um, they really like the idea of not having to reboot. Yeah, yeah. Mitya, where can people find out more about Zero Patch and Acros? Oh, at zeropatch.com, obviously. Uh, that's the best thing. But uh, if you want to talk to us um, or, or exchange email, uh, you will find all the all the contact information on that page. All right. And that's number zero, not zero spelled out, correct? That's number zero. Yes, yes. Yeah. We, we do see people. I mean, it was a... Um, Did you buy both? Do you have both domains? No, actually, we tried to. Uh, someone... Uh, beat us to it and then try to sell it to us for a very oh. large sum. And we said, no, <laughs> that's evil. That's, that's awful. Yeah. I, I don't think they did it intentionally to, to, uh, to, to counter, to attack us. I think they had the, the uh, domain before we started. They just uh, oh, okay. saw an opportunity. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a zero. Mitya, thank you very much for joining us today on Enterprise Security Weekly. Thank you for having me. All right, stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to talk cyber risk intelligence tools with Vikram Asnani from CyberGRX.